And you know, it's really hard to do. It's really hard to go. No, I'm only doing this kind of client and then turning down the business. It was tricky. It was really tricky. And it made you make you doubt yourself quite a lot when you do that. But ultimately, it was the right thing for the business. You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to episode 330 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. So here we are, 2022. I hope you had a good time and got to travel or had a nice staycation and spent special time with the people important to you. I hope you did and do. Or maybe you feel a bit like I do right now. I'm starting this with less enthusiasm and energy than I thought I would. I kind of expected to have a great trip and a great time away with family and come back energized and full of hype. But the thing is, I didn't really go away. COVID cancelled one thing after another. Well, some things we cancelled ourselves because we got scared of being stuck overseas and then other things got cancelled on us. And then COVID arrived anyway, but I could still have had a great staycation. But I didn't because I didn't really stop working. So I feel a bit like, well, that was it. The big time off and away, the eye-opening experience really didn't happen. And I also feel a bit guilty because I probably should have worked less and focused more on spending time with my children and husband and being present, which I was a lot less than I probably should have if I'm honest to myself. But A, what is done is done. No point crying over spilled milk. Just learn from it. B, this is a first world problem. C, I need to be grateful and not act like a spoiled something. A lot of people are doing it really tough. Not having the holiday I thought I was going to have is a problem they wish they had. And D, the good thing is I got things done. A lot less than I thought, but I still got things done. The main thing I got sorted is zero practice manager. And I looked into practice ignition and briefly into carbon HQ. But let's talk about that and FYI and sweet files in the next episode. Today, let's get the motivation I'm not giving you right now. Let's get that from Lucy Cohn. She's an accountant in the UK and achieving phenomenal success. Big team, 3,000 clients aiming for 10,000, built her own accounting and practice management software. Just amazing. So let's cross over to Lucy. How do we find our niche? I didn't start off thinking this is going to be our niche. Came about by being a kind of a type of business that I understood. So I, I knew small business, I knew self-employed people because that's what my family were. So I sort of understood them. And in terms of the, the, the way that we wanted to set up, in terms of it being, you know, a, a kind of a subscription style service, a kind of low fee service, it was finding something I suppose easy to do. I don't want to do it easy because it's easy, but was it had very strict rules. So the compliance stuff around it became very kind of that that was very easily led itself into kind of being very you know, systemized. And so that's what I think kind of led us into that small and micro niche. And then kind of seeing the response to it and you know, people, you know how people liked it and the need within that sector. That's really, I think, what solidified it for us and crystallized us kind of remaining in that niche. But you don't actually niche into a specific industry or industries in terms of plural you basically niched by size and by need correct correct yeah yeah you basically just went straight into it it wasn't like that you first 
basically took on everybody and then you slowly said oh hold on we only want to we only want those and we don't want those you you kind of went straight into your niche didn't you it was really to do with i suppose we, we obviously you know at the beginning we did take on some of the wrong clients but that was not so much around size that was more to do with expectation of service you know wanting to come and visit us more like a kind of traditional firm so we did kind of take on the wrong clients if you like i suppose that at that time but you know, we very quickly realized that they weren't letting us achieve what we wanted. So we quite quickly kind of went, right, no, this is the sort of client we want and we're going to qualify them. So unless they are quite happy with their remote service and all the other stuff that we're not taking them on. And we've done that ever since, really. So we probably had a year or so of maybe making the mistakes, maybe a couple of years and then kind of going, and you know, it's really hard to do. It's really hard to go. No, I'm only doing this kind of client and then turning down the business. It was tricky. It was really tricky. And it made you, makes you doubt yourself quite a lot when you do that but ultimately it was the right thing for the business can you describe your idea client persona so they are what we call micro businesses over here so under 250k turnover i mean half of our client base aren't even vat registered so they're, they're turning over less than eighty five thousand pounds a year so you know fewer than five staff owner managed companies you know we've not got complexity in terms of lots of directors or llps or groups or things like that they are kind of your you know, i suppose simple compliance-led businesses is it tricky at times to teach your clients to fit into your processes yes so we have to be very careful in our marketing. So in terms of the sorts of clients we attract, and we turn people away every day, you know, we have to be careful who we attract in terms of making sure that the people who take up our sales team's time are the right people. So if we have data, we make sure that we've really kind of heavily you know, gone through it and making sure that it's the right sort of data. Our, all of our marketing is done very specifically, the tone, the way our website works, the way we describe our service, makes it very, very clear exactly what we do and who we are. So hopefully by that point, we don't attract too many of the wrong sorts of clients. And normally we attract the sort of clients who are just kind of grateful that somebody will deal with them because they're not particularly attracted to a lot of other businesses. You know, they're kind of messy in terms of paperwork. They don't love using other bits of software. So we train them into our service and there's a full onboarding process. So from when they start, they have their welcome call, they get to know their accountant. And then there's kind of a an onboarding process. We've got a customer success lead who kind of leads them through that to make sure that they're using the service in the right way, that they become sticky so they actually use the service, they start using all the tools as quickly as possible and that they're getting value from it. The clients that don't stay with us are those that don't use the service properly. They, they, they don't use, they don't, interact with every every month they don't upload their documents regularly and because of that the service doesn't work a lot it's a bit like having a, a gym membership and not going to the gym you can't expect to go fit just by paying for a gym membership just like you can't expect your accountants to help you if you just pay the fees you need to kind of it's a two-way street yeah we do do quite a lot of kind of yeah i suppose training when, when the onboarding of the client happens how do you find out whether a potential client is a leaky bucket do you have a list of qualifying questions to ask yeah, we do. So it's more about kind of their willingness to work in our way. If they come in going, oh, I really like what you do and I love the price, or they love the price, but I want you to log into our software or I want to be able to speak to my accountant, you know, instantly, we kind of have to go, well, you know, we, we don't do that and this is why. And, you know, it's only, if your accountant's free, yeah, sure, they'll pick up the phone, but if they're working on someone else's tax, they might not be able to take a call with you right then in the same way that, you know, 
if they were working your tax, we're pretty certain you wouldn't want them being interrupted constantly by other people. So we have to kind of balance that. Sadly, one client per accountant doesn't pay the bills. So you, they're going to have more than one client. And if they don't understand that and they kind of don't accept that, we ha- kind of have to say, look, we don't. We think you're going to, this service is going to work for you. We don't think we're going to be able to delight you with this. So it's probably not going to work. We do still get ones that insist on coming aboard and promise you know, promise that they'll, they'll work and, and invariably they're kind of gone within within a year they maybe do one year and leave which isn't ideal for us because that investment in a client's very front-loaded you know um it takes a long time and a lot of you, know, you building the trust building the relationship it's much harder to to kind of win a new client than it is to keep an old one so that's not ideal but it, it still it still does happen and and we just have to accept that there is a there is a percentage churn each year that will be because of that and we just have to kind of work around it you just mentioned the possibility for a client to call you so how do you manage client calls so we have switchboard but we also have we've just moved over to um actually zoom telephony so each accountant will have their own client base and clients will uh, be able to call them they work in teams of two or three people so there should be always somebody who will be able to pick up the phone if they can't take the call straight away they can go on do not disturb and a message can be taken or the client can even book in a call with a calendly link which means that they can kind of manage their time that way but we have rules so if, if you've not answered the client call straight away they have to have called them back by 4 p.m that day and um, that's the rule so there's still a same day service and that's just part of the kpis that we have on our teams talking about your marketing can you tell me what your marketing funnel looks like so we do a lot of online we've got channel partners we got some we've just taken on a new marketing director actually to uh, look at kind of how we go into other routes but it's all very targeted around our niche it's all very targeted using kind of lookalike audiences through google and facebook and things like that it's all very targeted at hitting a very specific sort of audience so we don't kind of throw the net wide and hope for the best it's all about putting ourselves in front of the right people at the right time how do most clients come to you or not necessarily clients straight away but how do prospects or leads come to you do most of them come through your online quote or do most of them come through a different way yeah so predominantly they come through the online quote uh, but then we also have client referral schemes and channel partners who refer leads to us but by far and away our online quote is our um, biggest lead gen at the moment went onto your website and i found it amazing because you don't have a phone number on your website you don't have an email on your website You just have a quote which asks very little information. They basically just ask, are you VAT or GST registered? Are you a company or a sole trader? And then just basically just your name. And then you get a first rough quote. And then what I found mind-boggling is to go beyond that, to talk to anybody, you have to pay 20 pounds. So before you even talk to somebody, they have already taking their credit card out for the privilege of talking to you. I find that amazing. Not quite. So we do, you are able to book in free consultation with us. But if you wanted to reserve your space, so as in like you're saying, I want to go ahead, I'm keen, get me signed up. Because sometimes we have to limit the number of people we take on in a month, obviously, to keep the service levels high. You can get in there and go, right, keep me a space. And that's where that £20 comes in. And that then comes off your fee going forwards. But what it does, we used to have a thing on the bottom of that quote form that said, sign me up, which would be like, because of the nature of what we do, 
we can't do a 100% online sign up at the moment. It's not quite appropriate. It's still, it's still in the UK, certainly it's still a considered purchase. The you know, 99% of people still want to speak to somebody. So we had to have an indicator, a sign up button that indicated I'm, you know, I'm super keen, I'm, I'm super hot. Our team can get on it and call them and get them set up. But we were finding that button was getting misused. People were clicking it to see what happened. So we've replaced that with a reserve my spot button, which asks you to commit and says, look, you're saying you want to sign up with us. All right, then give me 20 quid and then we'll take that off your thing when you start. And that's actually proving to be quite effective in terms of, yeah, whittling out those that we get a lot of calls books that you know, people are no shows or it's not appropriate or they are just after free advice. And obviously we can't just give out free advice. We, you know, we're not a charity. We are um, a business. So it kind of eliminates a little bit of that, not all of it, but eliminates some of it. So you can book a Zoom call with somebody without paying or you can only talk to somebody if you pay the 20 quid? No, you, you, can, you, you, can, you can speak to somebody. And we do have our oh, number of things on our site. Uh, we just don't, we just don't have the... Yeah, we just don't have them in the top header because um, when people are Googling, so because we're finding, because we get a lot of our business online, people are looking for a specific thing and and yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll show up thousands of different keywords. We want people to actually know what they're inquiring about. What we don't want is noise. So with our sales team, if they're just getting inquiries, they're just people forgetting, oh, I can't remember why I clicked that. Oh, I don't know why I, oh, I don't know why I called and they're asking the wrong question. It takes up their time. And again, this is this marketing funnel, making sure the right people come to us we make it not difficult but not you know ridiculously easy to call us because we want to make sure that people have at least read part of the page to know what we do and how we work so if you scroll to the bottom of the page there are contact details in the in the in the uh, bottom footer in the footer menu um so you can you can find them but you know, you have to have at least read the home page to to get to them it just again it's just about because our margins are so tight because we work on volumes we just have to make sure that any contact we have with potential prospects is worthwhile and not wasting their time as well you know if we're not what they need it's best that they kind of find that immediately What's your pricing structure like? Because I did go through the quote, but I did write in it, you know, please, this is only a test. I don't want to waste your time. But I put some details in it. And so I put, yes, I'm registered for VAT. I have one payroll and I'm a company. And it came back with £110 per month, which I, I should have checked what the exchange rate is, but I assume it's two or three hundred dollars actually let me just very quickly google what the exchange rate is 1.8 so roughly times two so basically it came back with 110 pounds per month so 220 dollars per month when you calculate that over the year it's not that low Is that the lowest 110 pounds per month? No, it starts at eight, though, yeah, those prices. So if you're a sole trader, they start at 28 pounds a month. So the pricing works on the complexity of the business. Obviously, if you're a VAT registered business, you're almost certainly turning over over 85,000. There's more returns to oh, file. Good. Payroll will have to be monthly, so minimum. You know, some people don't do that themselves. Uh, you don't require payrolls to be done. So that reduces the price by a certain amount as well. So if you were a non-VAT registered limited company and you didn't need us to do payroll, it's £85 a month. So yeah, it, it's to do with the type of business, the legal structure of the business, the additional things that need doing. And also remembering that included within that is all of the bookkeeping. So we're not asking our clients to do anything, like literally nothing. They just give us the paperwork. We do absolutely everything else. They haven't got to buy additional software. 
They don't have to file any returns themselves. We also do all of the tax returns, including those for the directors. So in the UK, a company has to file returns and then you have to file them personally as well. All that's included as well. So when you put all that in, it's actually in the market in the UK, it's actually quite a competitive price. You do direct debit directly with London Zurich, I think. Yes. Is there a reason why you didn't go with Stripe or a similar solution? Uh, they didn't exist when we set up. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah, we, we've been doing this so long. We were the first to do subscription style. But back in 2006, when we set it up, LNZ was really the only option. Those companies weren't, weren't, you know, weren't in existence for us to kind of set that up. So that's why really, and obviously it's kind of embedded into our... Uh, ecosystem now so that's why we use them i've heard you saying before that you only start billing from the time the person signs up so if somebody signs up your your year end is 31st of march or when is your year end ours yes it's in march but just Does it matter? For clients? If in, oh, in, right. Okay, in, I see. I see. Financial year is 31st of March, isn't it? The financial year is 31st of March, but um, all limited companies have different year ends. So you'll have people with year ends in like September, October, May, June. So limited companies all have different year ends. They don't oh, really? necessarily... Yeah, they don't necessarily run in line with the tax year um, in the UK, whereas sole traders do run in line with the tax year, which is the 6th of April to the 5th of April every year. Oh, really? So sole traders are always 31st of March, but companies are probably whatever months they were registered? Incorporated in. Yeah, exactly. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Oh, that's interesting. But it probably can also be confusing. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Especially when corporation tax rates change. So people are getting charged two different rates of corporation tax over the same for, uh, over the same kind of uh, fiscal year for themselves. I can imagine that would do my head in. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I understand that uh, Mizuma charges from the time of sign up. So let's say somebody has the 31st of March as their financial year end and they sign up on the 30th of March they only pay for one month, but basically get the entire year done. No. So we'll do the year end when they have the equivalent, well, they have 12 credits. So when they have the equivalent of 12 months worth of payments, and um, at that point we do the year end. So they have a choice. They can either catch up their fees, they can backdate them and catch them up. Um, and we quite offer, you know, you know, often offer a discount on that. Or they can wait till their new financial year. So we've got quite a lot of people who start kind of in the first month, their new financial year to make it nice and neat. Or they can wait until they're kind of, they've been in, in our system a bit longer before they get those year ends uh, and stuff done. So it's really up to them. Some people come in with very organized books and neat books and they've already got a trial balance and we and we look at it and it's absolutely fine. In that case, yeah, we, we, we do sometimes take that on and say, we won't do accounts after one month, but in kind of you know, eight months time, we'll, we'll get them done for you well before the deadline. That's why this is a considered purchase. And this is why you can't do an automatic sign up online. We have to have a conversation with them to know where they're at really. And also each company will be at a different stage of filing with all the different things. You know, if you think about a limited company, they probably got five or six different sorts of filings that they, they'll be doing. And we need to figure out what they've done, where they're at, how much of it we need to pick up, where we need to pick it up from. So, so yeah, it's, um, it's on a case by case basis, really. Some clients make a profit, some make a loss. Yes. How do you track the profit or loss per client? And what do you do when the client is generating a loss? Do you put the prices up? Do you teach them to be less costly? Or do you fire them? Any and or all. Again, case by case. So we track the client. We've got 
tracking software. So as client work is done, it records how much time, you know, we know how many transactions, how many phone calls they make a month, how many emails they send, all that kind of stuff. So we know all that per client. We, we, we track that in our system. What tracking software do you use? So we got a combination. So we've got our own one, which we built MazApp, and then we integrate with Zendesk for email and then project management goes through MazApp so we can see kind of how many transactions and, and, and what's coming up goes through that. So we've, we've built that. And, and, and what it does is it, it you know, we, we can make a call. So if somebody is, we know that not every client's always going to make a profit and that's kind of okay because that's the model. It's a subscription model in the same way that when you sign up to Netflix, some people hardly ever watch it and some people watch every single thing on there. Well, you could argue to Netflix's point of view, some people are in inverted commas, costing more than others. That's kind of the nature of the beast, really. I go back to the, the thing of gym memberships. You can have a gym membership. You could go every single day, twice a day. You could never go, but you're paying the same regardless. We view it like that. So it's all about making overall profit and looking at our revenue per client, um, our ARR, our profit per head, and all those kind of metrics, which we have a tolerance on in terms of kind of, we know when we've got to make changes. If we get a client, which and it's usually flagged by one of the teams going, look, business has changed or they're starting you know, starting to take the mickey and they, yeah, they're not using the service properly and they're taking up a lot of time. We just have to review them. We go, right, where, where whose fault is this? Is this the business has changed? That's their fault and we need to talk to them about upgrading their package. So maybe they need more support from us. Maybe they signed up to a very basic package, which only includes kind of a certain amount of support hours per year, but maybe they could do with a better one. Maybe they've outgrown us as a service. We need to hand them on to somebody else and they need to leave our service because it's no longer suitable for them. Maybe that's an us problem. And maybe that's, you know, we need to look at, all right, where is this inefficiency? Is it that we've got a new member of staff on that team? Is it, you know, they, is somebody not following procedure, which means it's becoming inefficient kind of, it's all about looking at, looking about where, where is the inefficiency happening? Why is that client not profitable, when, especially if they used to be? And, and what do we do about it? And it could be, like you said, it could be any of the things, put their price up, ditch the client, if you retrain the client, or it could be a, a staff problem from our side. You mentioned the upfront cost of a new client before, that onboarding is, is a loss. Have you ever experimented with a sign-up fee? We do a notional sign-up fee, a setup fee of £30, which, to be honest, just kind of covers the compliance we have to do in terms of going through money laundering regulation, ID checks, all the kind of like legal stuff we have to do here. So we charge a nominal fee there, but our market is more price sensitive. So having too much of a setup fee really puts people off. So it's, it's, a, it's a juggling act between covering ourselves and getting them on board. It's more about the efficiency savings. So when you've got a new client, first of all, our AI has to learn that client. So it has to learn kind of where things get posted to they have to kind of train the system and also the staff have to get to know the client what their foibles what do they like dislike how do they like to communicate what type of person are they it's just about that kind of upfront relationship when everyone settles into it and everyone sort of settles into a routine it is better and that usually happens after about three months we find how do you manage the client's data so for example do they really just send you receipts or do you also get spreadsheets any at all. So some clients will use our portal um, so they can snap and send receipts in there. They can upload documents. They can email documents in. They've got, they get a special email address. So they email it. They can email four emails with documents on them and the system picks up the document and puts it into their, into their folder. They can do that or they can literally fill up an envelope full of receipts and paperwork and send it in and post it to us and we'll do it, all the scanning and, and digitizing of it and, and, and uploading it into the portal for them on their behalf. They really can just send us a bag full of receipts every month and we'll sort it out for them. Every client kind of can send you the data the way it works for them. 
So they might send it to you as a spreadsheet. And hence, that makes it quite unique again for each client because everybody does their spreadsheets differently. And hence, the um, accountant kind of needs to work out for each client how the spreadsheet is set up. Yeah, yeah, we do um, guide people. Again, because of the market we work in and because of the, we're in a micro-business space and the sorts of clients we have, we do have clients who don't tend to, you know, they're, they're not inclined to have spreadsheets. They're, they're more inclined to, you know, we, 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 we also, our app links up with open banking so we can pull data directly from their bank account as well. We tend to have clients who they're not going to be obsessed with sending a spreadsheet in. Um, they're much more likely to just upload source documents to us or use our invoicing tool to do that or like a data dump from PayPal or Stripe or you know Amazon whatever than they are to actually form a spreadsheet themselves it's just because of the market we work in. Do you have problems with clients putting private expenses through the business? Oh yeah who doesn't <laughs> yeah of course yeah. I find that can be quite time consuming when you have these expenses and then you need to work out, is it private or business? And Yeah, it's, it's again, part of what we do. So you think our average client, on average, our client has 74 transactions per month. So when we break it down into monthly work, it's not that many. It's not loads of transactions. And the majority of those will be remembered by our AI within Mazapp. So it's the ones that aren't remembered that we have to deal with every month. And again, as a client beds in after about a quarter, you tend to see the same thing over and over again. So it, it doesn't become so much the problem christmas and summer holidays we do tend to see a little bit more of it i think that's universal across the industry do you use any outside apps like dext or fyi docs or sweet files you know do you use any outside apps to manage your workflow no we don't so maz app was built basically to do that so that we could we we built something that was very fit for purpose for what we do in the way that we work. It does link in with external APIs, like I said. So things like London Zurich and open banking, we can pull other APIs in from other um, places, but we built it very specifically so that it managed our workflow and in the, in the way that we wanted. That would have been a huge expense. You basically built a zero, including a Dext, including Str Stripe. Can you give me an indication how much that has cost over the years to build and then maintain and improve? So I won't give you the exact number, but I'll put it this way. We had a conversation with one of the big vendors, again, I won't name them, but they got, kind of got their nose out of joint a little bit because I you, I, was, I think I'd spoken somewhere about how kind of they, they weren't appropriate for us in terms of what we do. And they got a bit upset about it and the big boss came down to, to see me. And I was like, all right, then, well, you know, blow me away. You're saying this is so great and all the rest of it. Tell me, what, what are you going to charge? Well, it's £5 per client per month. I'm like, right. I was like, so at 10,000 clients, which is where we're heading, that's £600,000 a year for software that we don't own. And he was like, yeah, but you get all this other stuff and blah, blah, blah. I was like, that's still £600,000 a year that I have to either absorb the cost of or pass that cost on to a micro-business client base that are very price sensitive. And I, I sat there, I was like, we could literally build something for half that and we'd own it. And, um, and then the idea, I was like, we could build something for like that money and, and do it so that's where it came from it, it were you it, because we work at scale and at volume to have a kind of per client per month pricing strategy which most of the main vendors do they just ended up not actually being cost effective not as cost effective as, as, as building something for ourselves now that's something that I suppose you'd only do if you have the kind of you've got the, the volume that we're looking at because you need to have the control of the process. Um, and it also meant we weren't trying to kind of retrofit things to something that wasn't quite 
was built for a generic and not how, specifically how we work. So yeah, that's that's kind of what led us down that 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 route. Yeah, it's amazing. And how did you build it? Did you set up your own IT team in the UK or overseas, or did you use an agency? Yes, we've used an agency who, um, a project management agency who were, we, they scoped it and then went and tendered and looked for the people to do it. We ended up using developers, we hired developers in, in Poland to, to build for us, but we've just taken on, now we've finished the main build. We've just taken on, he's actually been with us three days now, it's his third day with us, our product manager who's in charge of, he'll be taking a lead on the development of, of MazApp going forward and then recruiting developers around him so going forward we'll start bringing our own developers in-house now that the, the big initial dev is done but mezup is not just an app correct mezup is a full software that also has an app it's a, it's a full ledger software so it goes all the way from producing a contract to setting up a direct debit to doing all the money laundering data um, identification verification that we have to do all that legal stuff through to setting up the client portal and then the accountant side of it so where the client can upload And the, and the accountant gets the data to the side and through to producing management accounts so full ledger so profit loss balance sheet ledger listings and then through to tb so we take it all the way through to the the conclusion there and then we we use external uh, tax software because there was no way i was developing tax software as well that's a massive headache in the uk so that wasn't going to happen but yeah so he takes it all the way through and so from a client's point of view It's not like a native app, app in like um, Android or, or Apple or anything. It's uh, a web app. So you can access it. You save it on your home screen. You can access it in the same way as you access any other app on your phone. But you can access it from any device, anywhere you are in the world at any time. And just keep, you know, raise your invoices or keep popping your, your documents in there. And, and, and that's all you've got to do, really. That's easy peasy. Yes, amazing. Do you know which language you wrote this in? Now you're asking. No, I don't. <laughs> my, my, my business partner, Sophie, led on the tech development. So uh, I'm ashamed to say I, I, don't, I, I can't bring that to, to mind. No, no, that's fine. But it's actually good that you mentioned Sophie, because I find it amazing when I stalked you on YouTube and watched your videos. I find it amazing that you actually built all this together with Sophie. And in terms of that, you have stuck together because you both founded it and you've been together through this now for, when did you start? 2006. 2006. So yeah, 15 years. How long did you know each other before you went into business together? We've known each other since we were 11, we went to school together. So we were best friends going through school. I went to a different sixth form to Sophie. So kind of drifted apart for a couple of years. But when we were finishing our accountancy exams, we happened to be in the same revision course together, picked up where we left off. And I was like, well, I kind of got this idea for this thing. And she's like, oh, that sounds really cool. If you want a hand, let me know. I was like, great. And about three weeks later, I was like, I quit my job. Let's start a company. And she was like, oh, no. Okay, then. <laughs> Here we go. And that was that. How do you split it? So you just mentioned, for example, that Sophie is in charge of the app and IT, etc. So you each have areas you manage. Since you didn't split the clients between you, I assume that the profit is just 50-50. We're a limited company. So we took on investment uh, 2019. So Sophie and I currently, yeah. it's us. We're still the majority shareholders by quite a long way. So essentially 50-50. And we've got private investors as well, which um, we needed obviously to do the development for, for Mazap to raise the, the raise the funds to do that. But yeah, we when we started, it was just me and Sophie in my spare bedroom with about 
we started the business with about hundred pounds, you know, with, with no money and just kind of you know, pouring everything we have back into the business. But we have very different skill sets. You know, we approach things very differently. And I think it's why it works. Neither of us are trying to do what the other one does and we trust each other just to get on with it. So I trust Sophie to, you know, to get on with Mazap and we have updates at board meetings and chatting about how it's going, but I don't go and look into kind of, you know, how she's running that. That's, that's, that's what she does. Likewise, I'm much more in charge of kind of brand marketing, PR, sales, digital marketing. So I take on that side of the business and, and so just leaves me get on with that. And we're there to support each other and to bounce ideas off each other, but we're not there to try and do each other's job. And I think that's why it works really nicely. And we're very, we're very different personalities. We've got very different personality types as well. So I think that that kind of, that works quite well. You mentioned heading towards 10,000 clients before. When I heard your interview last time, I think you had just passed the 2000 so how far into the 10,000 are you now well we should be about a third of the way there by the end of this year so just over three and then it's a case of double it and uh, double it and yeah three and three so splitting it out that way so we just need to add another 3,000 just over 3,000 over the next yeah each year yeah so that's how we've kind of split it down so 3,000 a year Mm -hmm. yeah easy easy right easy (laughs) that's very impressive (laughs) this couldn't you just do this or do that how strict are you with that so for example I'm thinking of accountants letters when there's a bank application for a loan or something and they want an accountant letter or special grant applications etc how do you structure all this couldn't you just do this there's a certain amount of it included within the service so like if you know, one letter a year kind of gets included anything else is an add-on so we charge extra for it we just say look you need to buy pick what you need from this drop down menu buy it and then we'll we'll, we'll do the letter for you we used to include it as part of the package again it's not part of the core function so we do yeah we do our charge add-ons to things like that the sunk cost fallacy you hang on to something because you put so much money into it have you ever made that mistake oh god yeah absolutely of course we have um, everyone has right uh, yeah so uh, bad bad people wrong staff pr or marketing campaigns that aren't working it's really easy to throw good money after bad and there is you know i'd be lying if i said that you never feel an emotional attachment to something especially if it's your idea and you were you convinced it was going to work and you see it not working you're like oh just do one more month and then it, maybe it'll turn it all around you know like a like a gambler at the casino you have to learn from that and you have to have a cutoff point you have to go right no this is how long we're going to test it for and if we don't get results after this point then we're going to have to ditch it and yeah you have to um kind of remove emotion from it but yeah of course we've made the mistakes of course we have made loads of mistakes still make them You once mentioned that Mizuma basically went through being a startup six times, so that six times you basically started from scratch. I can imagine one of them was going to the cloud. Can you walk me through these six fundamental pivots where you basically went back to the drawing board? I don't think I can necessarily like give them a title each, but there's certainly like key points where I feel like as the world's changed, or as the business has changed, you know, we've been through this process several times. So the first was, you know, obviously being an actual startup. The next was starting to employ staff. That was the whole thing again. You know, you're back to the drawing board. You, you things that you knew by rote or that you just assumed knowledge you had, and having to learn to be a manager. That was like back to the drawing board again. Developing technology, obviously, the last eighteen months or so starting all over again because yeah, that's a whole new skill set, a whole new thing to bring into the mix. You're learning on your feet, a very steep learning curve. That changed everything. 
we're thrown into kind of turmoil like everybody was and I felt that felt that it's that feeling of right your legs like running downhill you're sort of feeling like your legs are only just keeping up with what you're doing it's that feeling and it's just happened yeah probably five or six times over the course of the business I'm trying to think of other ones at one point we franchised we decided to franchise in about 2008 and it wasn't as successful as we hoped so we had to bring all that back in again that was another of those moments there've just been several times where you feel like you're slightly out of control and you're sort of just riding the train and that's very much that startup feeling and I'll be honest, I don't love it. It's quite exciting, but I can't stay in that place for very long because I like to feel like I've got a handle on things. So yeah, I've definitely been there a few times over the last 15 years. <laughs> yes. You mentioned before that you had developers in Poland. Do you have any other overseas staff? So is some of your accounting done overseas or is everything done in the UK? No, that's, that's all done in the UK. And did you ever look into overseas accounting staff? Yeah, we have. And it's something, especially when we've had trouble recruiting over here or again, during COVID where you had kind of staff absences or mental health leave and things like that, where we've really been struggling, you know, like everybody has to, to do the work. You know, we've, we've had more work in than we've had hours in the day. And so it has been quite tempting, but it's just because of the way we work, it's just never been the right thing for us to do. It's never kind of worked well for us we work so I suppose rigidly yeah we, it's never been something that, that's kind of been appropriate for us to do um it, for our business model I'm, I'm definitely not anti it like you know it's it's a it's a there's more than one way to skin a cat and it's definitely a solution that people can use they've been quite right for us and that's kind of I suppose why we went down the route of Mazap you know building Mazap rather than where anything else was we wanted we recognized that we needed more efficiency and we needed kind of that space when we didn't have physical people And so Mazap with the AI and the OCR within it and the machine learning is going to allow us to kind of kind of bridge that gap um, as it beds in. Just coming quickly back to Mazap again, you just mentioned something that it was just recently finished. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So it's been, we've done a, a soft launch with it. So the the onboarding and client side of it has been live uh, since April and that's been going really nicely. People really like it. The open banking feed went live last month. So um, the open banking integration is just live and that's gone really well. Um, she says confidently, I might regret that in a few days if something goes wrong, but no, so far so good. And the ledger software is what we're, we're slowly implementing. So we're taking our the most simple clients on first. So those that don't have like VAT filing and stuff, getting those into ledger software because obviously that's that's a that's a whole thing in itself and then slowly integrating other people into it as we go along i didn't realize that mazab was so new i thought you already had it for quite a few years so what have you been using before mazab we've tried various different software we used vt for a long time which is an excel based add-in we never went to a cloud software a full cloud software for the ledger because we needed something that worked really quickly because you know, we have to process things at speed. So that's why we started developing Mazap was to kind of, again, I gave the example of the vendor who's wanting to charge five pounds per client per month for doing it. I was like, yeah, no, that's just not going to work for us. And, and actually the, the kind of big products, Zero, QuickBooks, Sage, et cetera, they're kind of too big for our clients. You know, they, they would never use all the functionality and it's not what they need and they're not going to get the data right themselves. So yeah, so we're moving over that. It's been... It's a very, we'd hope to like, you know, press a button, it all go live kind of start of 2020. So nearly two years ago now, that was kind of the plan, but we've done it, we've been rolling in. So yeah, you are right that we've had it for a couple of years, but we've been doing it as a soft launch. You once said people don't care if you put your prices up. No, they don't. Not really. Not really. As long as they feel like they're still getting value for the service, 
they're not going to mind. Yeah, every, all prices go up every year. So yeah, I used to have a member of staff who would do anything to avoid doing the the annual price rise email. She'd come to us and go, I don't think it's the right time. And I don't, she just she just really hated being the person that sent this, e- this email out to tell people. But if you think about a couple of thousand clients, the number of responses we got from it were, I don't know, a handful, like three or four percentage wise, it's not even worth worrying about. Uh, well, yeah, we've never had somebody turn around and go, well, you've put your price up by two pounds a month. I'm leaving. I'm off. It's just never happened. You do send an email out or is it just a clause in the contract that it is adjusted every year? Yeah. So there's a clause of the contract, but also we, as a courtesy, remind them about it. But like your mobile phone provider does, you get a reminder that this is going to go up as per contract and this will be the amount and, and that's that. Lucy, I have just two more questions for you and I give them to you together because they're kind of linked together. The first one is, how many employees do you have? And the second question is, while you offer a remote service, do you have a centralized office so everybody has to work in the office or do you have a large part of your workforce working online from various locations? We do have a centralized office and we used to have people obviously coming into the office and then COVID struck and it let us kind of reevaluate our hiring. So we do now have staff that are kind of more scattered across the UK and not geographically close to, it's close to where you're where where we are and that's fine that works actually really nicely so yeah we do we do have a mixture of both uh, you know, in, in the office and remote because you are so structured in your processes you can very well see who is producing the results and who isn't yeah exactly that yeah so we we know who it's all output based you know if you get all your work done by 2 p.m like you know have your afternoon off i, I don't care um or if you need to split your day differently as long as the work gets done the clients are happy i'm I, i'm happy with that so yeah so i'm not i'm not a you must sit at your desk from nine to five and you get a half hour break it's all about kind of creating a, an environment where people can be as productive as they can in the way that suits them best. So whether that's in the office, out the office, a combination of both working, you know, non-standard hours. Yeah. But the, the point is that because we're so structured, because we're so kind of highly digitized in the background, we can see, we can see exactly who's doing what. And then how many employees do you have to service the 3000 clients? And so by the end, when you have reached your 10,000 clients, you will have over 100 employees. No, no because MazApp will give us the efficiency. So the, the number of clients per head will increase i think we in two years we kind of estimated we probably have around 70 60 to 70 employees quite a few of those 36 would be head office which won't exponentially increase with the number of clients yeah heard you once saying you know back yourself you can sell is this also because you're wary of i mean you do use consultants and advisors so i first thought oh maybe you're wary of consultants and advisors i heard the story about i think you had a sales manager who ghosted oh god yeah that was awful yeah (laughs) that was terrible i guess it's a fine line between knowing when you need to bring other people in and knowing when you should just back yourself yeah, absolutely. It, it, and that, that's exactly it. It's knowing when it's knowing when you you need to bring people in. So I was um, recently thought oh, I could probably do with them. Um, we've taken on, uh, you know, we're building a new sales team at the moment. And I was like, oh, you know, maybe I could do with a bit of executive coaching for you know, for my own personal development. And I spoke to one coach and she was really honest with me. And she was like, I don't think you need it at the moment. She's like, I think you're fine. She's like, 
I think you got this. You know, obviously, if you feel any issues, please come back. And I thought I was really honest. And I was like, okay. Um, and it's about, I think it's about knowing you don't know what you don't know. So we've got a really good board who are quite kind of candid with us and will say to us things like, you know, this area of the business really is looking at and do you have the expertise in-house? And we'll be like, well, this person could do it. And they're like, well, it, you want this growth. Are they the person to deliver that? Have they ever done it before? And you're like, actually, no, they haven't. So we need to go and look for that. So that's kind of, it's a fine line between, you can't do everything yourself. At some point you have to get other people to do stuff for you because you literally don't have enough hours in the day if you're running a business. So it's about knowing at what point somebody else coming in will be better than you. And that's the key. So I've just brought in someone at the moment who I'm working with on the sales side and he's much better than me. He knows more. He's done it before. He's done it lots of times before. And so I feel, yeah, I feel good about, okay, I can just let them get on with that and let them deal with that. And and they can come to me for guidance and direction, but I'm not going to do that job. I, I can't do that job. And it's about that, I suppose. It's about kind of Peter's principle, you know, getting to your kind of highest, you know, highest level of incompetency. And like, well, I, you know, I think part of being a business owner sometimes is about hiring the right people around you and let, then letting them shine. So, but then also sometimes, and this goes especially like you know, backing yourself. The first business advisor we went to see 15 years ago told us that our concept would never, ever work. That there was a reason that accountancy was the way it was, that people wouldn't respond to this service and that it was a waste of time. And we just, we were like, no, no, you're wrong. As a 23-year-old seeing this older man, I was like, no, I actually think you're wrong here. And no, I haven't got tons of data to back it up, but I do know the market because I've grown up with them. And yeah, there is a gap here. And obviously I was right. In that sense, you know your business better than anybody else. You know your business inside out. It's very easy to be sold to when you're not kind of backing yourself. If you know your stance and you know where you are, don't be an easy sell. Like, give them a hard time. They can prove it. Um, and only then do you like want to bring someone on board really when they've really proved it to you is that, that that's what you need welcome back my biggest takeaway is something lucy said right at the start and you already heard it twice because i also put it into the starting quote and that is qualify your clients don't take everybody be really clear on who your client is and it takes courage and of course it's all much easier said than done in the next episode, episode 331, let's talk about PI, FYI, Sweet Files and Carbon HQ. Amy Holdsworth of Clarity Street in Melbourne will share helpful insights with you. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.